everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Crime and Coffee Couple. My name's Allison. My name's Mike. Hi, Mike. Hey, baby girl. How you doing? I'm doing good. Good. You got our puppy on the uh, the, the horn again, I guess, yes, on yes. your lap. We are snuggled. We are just ready to go. She's really enjoying this petting right now. This <laughs> She's is getting of, a rub down. This is a little inside look of when you get home from work and you get to see Poppy, our little puppy, and she runs over. You say, I got to see you. You got to run over to the little couch yep. that we have in the living room. And then, um, yeah, you just kind of pet her up and down for about, what, 10 minutes? Yeah. I say, I got to see you. Yep. And she knows which couch to run to. Yep. And then I tell her, I can't get anything done when you're around because you're so stinking cute. I think she's been in our last, like, two or three episodes. Maybe. She has. Uh, if you look at YouTube, she's just sitting right next to Allison. Yeah, we are back in the business of our son's baseball games on Saturday. So there's no pre-recording happening. So we're doing classic day of Sunday mornings. Yeah, this episode's released in probably, what, an hour and a half? Yeah, we like that. basically hit publish right after we're done. Yeah, yeah, I get right on it. And then uh, I sit there. And what's nice about the Sunday, I can get there and, you know, do the video a little bit, get it through uh, today. I will be working my butt off to get some uh, merch up on the uh, some kind of website somewhere. So I apologize to anybody looking for some. I'm going to try my butt off today. My yeah. butt is going to be off. It's going to be laying on the floor. I'll make sure of it. Yeah. I got to keep this guy in line. Yeah. If you've seen uh, our, our Instagram, it's Allison's like that little mouse that's like just angry. Yeah. Like, I'm like, always marching around being like, did you get it done? Yeah. Yeah, so I got to make sure I do that because I'm afraid of her. So we don't you want, should be. We don't want you for you you angry or anything. No, like that. you do not want that. Yeah. It's ugly. Right. Uh, how's everything going? It's going good. Business uh, as usual. Like you said, we've got man tons of things going on. I mean, we're at that time of life. You know, we're 43 years old. We have two kids. Got activities up the yin yang. Yep. Every day this week, we've got something. I was telling my coworker, we were both saying, we're like, is it sad that quarantine was like our best life? <laughs> yeah, nothing going on. And of course, we got to say the disclaimer. So sorry about any lives lost. Oh, of everybody. course. I wasn't meaning to be flippant about that. It was more about no. a joke about us being like forced to stay home. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's hard when you work all day and then you come home and you're, you know, out and about until like nine o'clock at night. Well, it was nice getting like super fat and like drinking and a lot of alcohol oh, and getting you're drunk. You're so bloated. Um, we went through like boxes of wine almost like every four days. It's so disgusting to even think about it. Yeah, it was it was a lot. I mean, there was nothing to do. So it's like, so you want to pop up the wine? Yeah, it's four we'll, o'clock. We'll, we'll. Let's have a couple glasses of wine. Yeah. Super healthy. <laughs> I mean, you know, nobody's really working anyways because everybody's locked up in their houses. <laughs> Never looked puffier in my life. Yeah, yeah. Those those days are long gone. Yeah. Now we're living a little healthier lives these days. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm going to be busy with Cameron with baseball all week doing whether it's like lessons or you know, games. Well, you're his coach too. Right. Right. Well, assistant coach, so mm-hmm. can't do the managerial thing, uh, nor do I want to. Man alive, some of those uh, parents at those games. I can barely sit in the stands of those games because of the parents. I mean, they are impossible to deal with. Um, our team was great. Yeah, it's not our team. If you're listening. Um, it's the, both, both games, it was the opposing team, and they're questioning the umpire, and it's not even just that. They're so disrespectful. They're rude. I'm just sitting there like, this is torture for me. Uh, there was a play at the plate. I didn't tell you, but um, yeah, I was like, oh, his his foot was in there. There was no tag. And then one of the coaches, like the, the team mom in the dugout, she's like, there was a tag. I was like, no tag. And she's like, tag. And I was like, no tag. And, and then, also, why is there a team mom for 14 and 17-year-old boys? Uh, I guess the, to line up, to know the lineup, They're They're adults. Like, they're edging towards adulthood. Yeah, they can read. So it's it's nice and easy. I mean, that's like them. ridiculous. Let's put a diaper on them and change them, too, when they take a dump. Hey, maybe 
maybe she coaches too. I don't know. But um, and then she's like, "Well, you're blind." I'm like, "You're no." I was like, "Well, you're blind." That was that was rude of me. That was so rude of you. She's like, "Well, you're blind." I'm like, "I already said that. You can't say it." (laughs) I cannot believe you said that to her. Boy, baseball's bringing out the ugly in you. I almost get in a fight almost every year because I can't stand when like parents interject. Well, they're not coaching. They're in the they're in the stands and they are trying to act as coaches, and it's just distracting. And um, it's not that I'm better, it's that I donated my time. So I get right. to say, you don't, is basically what it comes down to. Well, the to. point is, if you have so much to say, why don't you get out of your seat in your camping chair and go be a coach? And that's what I would always say to you. Be like, you know, I don't like how this coach is coaching, but he's the one coaching, and I'm not. So right. I, I need to just take it for what it is. Unless I want to coach, then that's the only way to change this. Exactly. And that's what I did. So, uh, yeah, good times all around. Um, yeah, Any anything else going on? No. No, nothing. Wow, good. Nothing. That's Blank fantastic. slate. Man, so if uh if if you're listening to this and you guys are like yeah you guys are pretty funny you know generally pretty funny yeah i'm not ready to do any kind of like monetary donations but i'd like to help you out somehow you know a nice review on any website you're listening to us in any podcasting website would be great or even like comment on our youtubes or something like that you know um we're on tiktok too but i don't really care about tiktok as much but um i just want to read a review every once in a while to kind of remind everybody how cool some people are and uh this review came to us i believe from a uh, patron but um it says my favorite crime couple i've listened to several other crime podcasts which i do like but i found your podcast and i love you guys you're my favorite i love how you guys tell the stories and go back and forth on your storytelling and you do great research keep up the great work and i'll continue to listen to you guys oh and question do you guys have merch yet so that really brought it up to me today i'm like yes we're gonna get it and she says oh thank you Alyssa." so yeah if you want to support us for free leave a review on any website that you're listening to us through i'd be much appreciated there's only a few where you can leave like text reviews but there's almost all of them except the five star review so go ahead yeah, whether it's Spotify, I got to say, every time I say Spotify, they they pick up our podcast and broadcast it to everybody. So I have to say Spotify. Okay. Spotify. So, Spotify, Spotify, and Spotify. There we go. Good. So uh, anything else going on this week? No, I'm ready to get going. I did ask you that already. So um, I have to do a podcast at some point. I have to bring up Yeah, yeah, you do. Yeah. So I um, just keep cranking them out, and you just keep sitting here with your cup of coffee and listening. I must say, it's pretty nice. I mean, I'm doing, I am putting up the YouTube videos, so there is that. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. In the process of the merch. Yeah, the process of the merch. We haven't had a process yet, but... <laughs> hey, but it's happening. With um, and also, if you guys really do enjoy us and would like to support us or want to hear bonus content, we do have a Patreon page. Yeah, check it out. It's in the show notes. Yeah, if you want to become a patron, we would certainly welcome you with open arms. Yeah, be part of the crime and coffee couple family. You got it. So if you're ready to jump in, I am. Let's do it. All right. So this one, I will put it out there. It's just a straight up horrific story. It's very sad and tragic as pretty much every story we talk about is. Uh, these are my least favorite. Um, this is the story of the murder of Brittany and Tiffany Coughland. Brittany? Did I say Brittany properly? Yeah. It came out weird in my head, so I apologize if I did. So Brittany and Tiffany Coughlin were twin sisters. They were only four days away from their 17th birthday when they were murdered at the hands of their own father. Oh, no. Yes. I hate this stuff. That's kind of like the Murdoch stuff. I don't, I don't follow the Murdoch trials at all, at all. I well, just know that it's all over the news. So. Apparently, from what I read in a blip, he was um, found guilty and sentenced to life in prison. Okay. So, well, just that's good. Side note on that but one. I mean, like, even our we told our son, because, you know, I mean, we're the crime and coffee couple, so we talk about these these crimes sometimes, and our son's like, well, who do you kill? And you told him, you know, his family or something. It was his um, wife and son. Yeah. So I was like, I cannot, like, I love you and my kids so much, I cannot imagine and killing your own like family that's 
obviously all these assholes are so insane. Like, we don't know. That's why we're so fascinated because it's like, what would bring you to this? Right. Well, we know that there's something not right going on in your mind. Right. And not to take away. So No. So they were juniors at St. Charles East High School in St. Charles, Illinois. Uh-huh. Uh, we actually moved from this area, not St. Charles, but like a neighboring town. And it's it's super cute over there. Yeah. If you're in Illinois, go visit downtown St. Charles. It's adorable. Um, it's a quiet suburb of Chicago. They had only just left school a few hours earlier when classmates learned of their deaths. They were absolutely stunned. They were devastated. It was the first murder the town had seen in nine years. So it's a quiet, safe place to be. You don't expect something like this to happen. You know, it's a Friday. They're heading home. And three hours later, their classmates are hearing that they're gone. It's much like I just you, saw them. Much less do you expect their parent to be right the one at the, the one that was capable of doing it. So Brittany and Tiffany were born on March 14th, 2000 to parents Anjum and Randy Coughlin. They met when they were working at a discount store when Anjum was 17 and Randy was 19. Anjum. How do you spell Anjum? <clears throat> A-N-J-U-M. Cool name. Mm-hmm. Anjum immigrated with her family from Pakistan when she was 12 years old. She was the third of four children from a religious Muslim family. Her parents didn't allow her to date. So when she started dating Randy and at 18, she moved out of the home to marry Randy. They basically just disowned her and she never had any contact with them ever again. In her mind, she thought that her family would eventually come around and forgive her for you know the deci- decision that she made but they never did mm. um even after they learned of the girl's deaths they never reached out to her and reconnected well, wait, what kind of a piece of shit do you have to be i mean i guess you really have to believe that you're not going to be going to heaven with your family i mean that's 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 a really tough pill to swallow yeah you got to believe that yeah well now you've you've basically denied your god that we know to be a, a fact and now you're not coming to heaven so you're dead to us basically i mean i'm you know, I'm just one of those parents that I just always want to be in my kids' lives. I, I look forward to the day that if they choose to have kids, that we can be grandparents. I can't imagine ever pulling a plug and not seeing our kids. I mean, it's like unfathomable. unfathomable Unless they do me. something horrible, you know? But I mean, uh, I, I mean, mean, we're talking like murder or this, something like that. I, maybe but. this is the equivalent to super religious people, and we are not those types. Yeah. So I don't know. So because of her youth and inexperience, Anjum didn't recognize initially that Randy was a very controlling person. You know, she was only, what, 17 years old when they met? So she didn't see it. After they were together for a week, he demanded that she become a Christian. Because again, she's coming from a Muslim family. So right there, you know, not respecting the fact that religion was a big part of her life and just expecting her to just immediately jump into his religion. Um, what type of Christian was he? I don't know. Say? It didn't say. So 10 years after they got married, they welcomed Tiffany and Brittany into their family. When Anjum first discovered that she was pregnant with twins, she was scared to tell Randy, which to me, that's a bit of a red flag. Oh. If you're afraid to tell your husband the fantastic news that you're expecting, um, she was afraid, you know, he didn't even really want one child, let alone two for one. Yeah. So um, she did say that when he did find out of her pregnancy with the twins, that he wasn't upset. I don't know that he was thrilled, but he wasn't upset. Oh, how nice. How nice of a father not to be upset. Right. So Anjum says that despite the girls being twins, Brittany and Tiffany were very different from one another. Basically opposites. Wow. Brittany was very outgoing. She was a member of the cheer squad. She was very active in gymnastics. She worked in a bakery department at their local grocery store. The staff described her as very vibrant. 
She also planned to go into the hospitality industry after she finished school. Her mom thought this job would be right up her wheelhouse because she was such a social person. So she made friends very easily. She absolutely loved life. Tiffany tended to be more reserved, but she would eventually open up to people once she got to know a person. So she had been working at a pet store. She had a huge passion for animals. She was a wonderful student. She was excelling in her AP classes and considered being a veterinarian. The one thing that stopped her from doing this was she couldn't bear the idea of having to put an animal down, which is what our daughter has said, because our daughter just loves animals. And we're like, you'd be an amazing vet. She's like, I can't I can't imagine putting an animal down. That is a major piece of it. I mean, that's that's, (laughs) you know, because we can't do it as humans. You know, you were allowed to treat animals that way, but um, you can't put. You know, humans down, but you can put animals down, and it's like you're just looking at it in the eyes, and it's like you just know, but yeah. you're helping it so much. <clears throat> well, that's what we told her because, um, you know, when we got married, we got all of our pets at the same time. So over the course of X years, we've had to put four pets down, like very consecutively. It's yeah, it we've like, we've had we've, to. Mike's always had to do the deed. I cry like a baby every single well, time. Well, it's it's horrible, but um, you have to look at it like you're doing this animal a favor because he's at the end of its life, it's suffering, and you're you know putting it to a better place but regardless that was the one thing that was stopping her from considering that so britney super outgoing and vibrant cheerleader tiffany um more thoughtful maybe not more thoughtful but just uh passion for animals yeah okay not quite as like outwardly outgoing right but if you see pictures of these girls you could just tell they are full of vibrancy in life always with a huge smile on their faces they both have their braces on um just you know cute teenage girls 16 Mm. years old all lives ahead of them exactly so um anyway tiffany was described as someone who would just light up a room with her smile and her personality she made people better just by knowing her both girls were described as very sweet very kind-hearted Brittany and tiffany shared a love of music and going to concerts that was like their huge thing together so by this time, 46-year-old Andrum and 48-year-old Randy were married for 28 years when they decided to finally separate. It was February of 2017. Yeah, you kind of see the writing on the wall there. I mean, I, it, I can't believe there weren't any other stories that you saw before. Like, oh, there this were. Happened. Okay. Yeah, um, not not violent stories. No. Really? Mm-mm. Oh, no. Because okay. usually there's some kind of violence, and, and especially these controlling asshole type guys, like there's, there's some bad shit going on usually. No, there was no violence. There was a lot of control. Controlling. Okay. So the split was a long time coming. Anjum had asked Randy for a divorce multiple times in their marriage. Throughout their marriage, she walked on eggshells. She was always, always trying to keep her husband happy, trying not to make him angry. And you're like, how much longer till I die so I can stop having to do this? You're I like, can't. Can I make it another 20 years? I can't imagine because, you know, a healthy relationship is all about mutual respect. One person's needs aren't more important than the others, but her, like, job in life at this point was not to piss Randy off. They said, like, I just read an article, and I I won't be able to come up with the word, but they say the number one thing that really drives couples apart is when you're, like, just outwardly mean to each other. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just, like, saying bad, bad stuff and, like, attacking them as as their person of who they are. And I can imagine a guy that's like this is probably like you're so dumb you're such an idiot you know like why would you do this like that kind of stuff is so biting and it like hurts somebody's soul so much that's like the reason for a lot of divorces it's that and some other things that just really comes down to proper communication 
Well, and like I said, kindness and respect. And it's like yeah. when you're living with somebody, of course, you're going to have your moments when you snap at them. Yeah. But just big picture wise, just trying to be kind. And I know it's hard when you're married because you want your spouse to be a certain way. I like, I wish you would do this or I wish you could do that. Like, I wish you had huge boobs. <laughs> realize that you're not going to change a person. That's really what it comes down to. And you need to love somebody the way that they are, truly. Yeah. So, but because of their financial situation and the fact that the girls were young, they decided to just stay together. It didn't help that Randy was the bread winner of the family and he often told Andrum that if she left him he would also quit his job and neither of them would be able to get by oh my god so he held that over her head that you know we're going to be in ruins if we divorce so just and it's so going to you know. be your fault and, and you're going to ruin and our, our girls are going to suffer because of it what a jag off like and that's uh that's that's what's really hard you know you want to be with a guy who you know, there's some girls who want to be with a guy that is the breadwinner and they don't have to work and they can take care of the kids and do all the mm-hmm. home stuff. And that's what she's done the past 28 years. Yeah. So it's so dangerous. You're going to go out in a job market and going against somebody who has, you know, five, 10 years experience. And you're like, well, I've done, you know, homework or you know, been a house person. Yeah, it's hard. I've never not worked. Um, I went back to work immediately, basically. I mean, I took like six weeks off for our son and nine weeks for our daughter. But a lot of the neighbors we have here, they've been stay at home moms for like 15 years years and all of a sudden they're having to get back into that industry and it's it's a big transition yeah for sure she did work side jobs at at the time because you know the girls were getting to be teenagers it's you know it's once the kids go back to school you could start to look at yourself and be like you know what maybe i do have time to pick something up so it did sound like she picked up a side job so because of the lack of extended family support again you know her family had disowned her she decided it would just be easier to stay with randy she didn't have the option to say well i'm going to move back in with my parents until i get on my feet she didn't have that no she basically had her family and like her girls were her family that was basically it So they, you know, tried therapy. It did very little to help. And as time went on, Randy only became more and more controlling. His personality began to change. His ego grew. He felt that because he was financially taking care of the home, the members of the family needed to answer to him. It got to the point that Anjum couldn't do anything without asking Randy first. She began to defend herself, arguing with him that he wouldn't even allow her to spend $2 without his permission. She had to answer every cent she spent. He would ask her, what was this for? Man, I hope this guy's dead because he's such a low life piece of shit. Like it, I know we both work, so it's a little easier for me to say, but... For us, it's our family's money. Like even the kids, it, it is our family's money. Like if you want to like buy something, be like, yeah, it is our. Fa-. And not that I allow them to buy anything because that's stupid. No. But just let them realize, like, you want this two hundred dollar thing. This is our family's money that we're gonna like potentially be spending here. And you, you know, I might make more than you or whatever, but it's like still, I don't even look at it as like you know whatever seventy five percent mine and twenty, you know, whatever. Well, it's that's like, just not the way you should look at it. It's a one. Well, for everybody's different. Some people might have separate accounts. But regardless, it's all for the greater good of the family. It's not, this is my money, this is your money, this is our money. We're pulling together our resources and trying to make the best family possible. And not to mention, this woman has stayed home raising twin daughters. I mean, that was her job, and that's not an easy job. And sounds like she did a terrific job. And Based on the fact that they were described as such amazing girls, I would say she did a pretty damn good job. Yeah, and that's what's worth more than anything. Yeah, and it's just so disrespectful to like demean her that she didn't do anything. She was just home, is basically how he saw it. She wasn't allowed to get her nails done. She was only allowed to get her hair cut once a year just to trim the ends. I mean, that's kind of how we are, just because it's so expensive. Well, I mean... 
Fruit. I get my hair done multiple times a year, and I get my nails done every two weeks. You do? We got to put a stop to that. <laughs> yeah. That is I'll put done. a stop to your face. <laughs> so a classmate of Brittany said that she would occasionally talk about troubles at home. She would sometimes explain that she wasn't sure if she could get a certain assignment done because she wasn't having a good home life. Her friend said that she put up a strong front, but you could tell that she was hurting. Despite her own struggles at home, friends said that Brittany always made it her priority to comfort and care for others. She was described as someone who smiled nonstop and had the biggest heart. In 2015, Randy was diagnosed with depression and began taking antidepressants. He also began drinking heavily. As the girls got older, it became more important to Anjum that they leave because the girls could see and understand what was going on. And I think in a lot of cases, this is what happens as your kids become kind of like in the teenage years, you're fearful that if you stay in this environment, the girls will start to think that this is normal and then history will repeat itself in their relationships. Well, that book's already been written in the previous years while they were young. Mm-hmm. Like whether you know, we, we realize it or not, like they, they see how you're being treated. Right. And even though you're trying to keep it very quiet, I mean, you can't hide everything. Yeah, kids are very perceptive. For sure. So when Randy and Andrum sat the girls down and told them that they were separating, the girls weren't surprised at all. It was clear to see that their parents were unhappy together. Randy stayed in their luxury fourth-floor three-bedroom apartment in downtown St. Charles that they lived in as a family, and Anjum moved out to a one-bedroom condo just down the street so that she could stay close to her girls. She felt that Brittany and Tiffany's lives would be more stable if they just stayed in the home that they were used to, where all their things were, whatever. I don't think it was just that, though, because um, Randy's control continued throughout this process, and he wouldn't allow the girls to be with Anjum unless he was there. I mean, Why? which is, you know, so sad to me to think that he had this kind of control. And you just know he's just, you know, saying a bunch of bad stuff about her whenever she's not around and probably when she is around too. Be like, oh yeah, you're, oh, what, what a big surprise. You don't have anything for the kids. So, uh, uh, you know, just picture him being a huge asshole. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she never did question their safety with her dad though. She, she just didn't. And she was able to, you know, have her own place at this point, decorate it how she wanted to. The first time she was able to really do something under, you know, without his control is basically what I'm saying here. And why would you think that he'd be, you know, aggressive towards them? Right. I just think he's an asshole. Right. Exactly. A controlling dickhead. Yeah. So on Thursday, March 9th, 2017, Randy went to Anjum's home. You know, at this point, they're working out the logistics of their divorce. So I think conversations are happening. They're talking about paperwork and things like that. That's why he came to the house. Um, They had some wine together. He's sitting there telling her he wants to reconcile. She's been there. She's done that. It hasn't worked time and time again. The ship has sailed. The ship is, is out in the sea. And she is basically like, Randy... We need to get a divorce. He's basically horny, uh, probably. At this well, point. and two, you know, it's what you're comfortable with. It's what you're used to. It's it's easier to just stay with the person that you've been with for 28 years. And he's also like, well, yeah, I was a jerk. I'll change. I'll change. He's like, breaking news. He won't change. Yeah, and she she knows that. That's good for her. So the next day, which was Friday, March 10th, while Anjum was at work, Randy began leaving her messages. He said he wanted to kill himself, and he called her later in the day to tell her that he had secrets too. And he invited her over that evening. He wanted to explain 
explain further, and he also told her he had paperwork to give her. She's scared. She's on the phone with him. He's being very cryptic with the, I have secrets too. And she's like, please just tell me right now on the phone while we're talking, what do you mean? Yeah, what does he mean too? Like, does yeah. she have secrets? Like, I, I think he didn't like the fact that she had the control at this point. She was the one that was making the decision to have the divorce go forward. If it, he had his way, they would stay married. Okay. So I don't think he liked that she was the one holding the reins in this in this point in time. He was doing anything to manipulate her to get the power back. Yes. So he insisted that she would find out what he meant when she came over that evening after work. He lured her over again to the home, telling her he had paperwork to give her. So a woman living in the apartment complex said that she saw Randy and Anjum walking up the stairs at about five or I'm sorry, four forty five PM that evening. She said that it appeared that Randy was in a hurry. He was taking two to three stairs at a time. They did not appear to be upset. There was no arguing happening. Nothing stood out. So walking up the stairs normally, other than the fact that he was taking multiple stairs at a time. So as Anjum entered their old home, she noticed that Brittany was lying on the couch. She was turned away from her, but she did notice that she seemed oddly still. Anjum at this point in time just assumed she'd fallen asleep on the couch. Sure, teenagers do that. On the TV, Friends was playing, which was Brittany's favorite show. So very typical situation. Anjum stood in the kitchen because, again, Randy's telling her, I've got this paperwork for you. So she's in the kitchen looking for this paperwork. Randy was standing behind her. He told her to turn around, and when she did, she saw that he was holding a gun to his head. She could not believe what she was seeing. She asked him what he was doing. She's like, the girls are going to wake up. Please stop this. This is scary. He calmly told her, they're already dead. (sighs) He then pointed the gun at Anjum's head and told her, I want you to live and suffer. And at that point, as quick as he pointed the gun at her head, he moved it to her legs where he shot her. A single bullet tore through both of her thighs. Jesus Christ. The second he pulled the trigger, Anjum knew her girls were gone. He knew he wasn't just lying and just saying that to scare her. So this is all happening in an instant. I'm trying to put myself in like Anjum's shoes. I have goosebumps right now. So despite being shot, she is on full force adrenaline. She ran to a bedroom. She locked the door behind her. And at this point in time, it's about 5, 12 p.m. There are two separate calls being placed to 911 by each of them. So I got to hear both of their calls. Oh, my God. And of course, there's going to be two separate stories because he's already got one planned. Oh, it's cut and dry. There's no stories. So when Randy called just before the dispatcher spoke, so he the dispatcher wasn't even able to say the words 911, what's your emergency? Randy, you can hear him yelling out to Anjum in the background. I want you to live and suffer like I did. The call lasted only a minute and a half. Randy calmly explained to the 911 dispatcher, I just shot and killed my two kids and I shot my wife and I'm going to kill myself now. And that's how he said it. He said it like a child. Like, like yeah, he's I'm gonna like, get yeah, the best. that's exactly if you listen to this call, that's exactly how he sounded. And wow. I'm going to kill myself now. And the dispatcher continued to tell him, just sir, just stay on the line. Just stay on the line. Um, After he basically explained what he had done, he no longer spoke. The call ended, and then he would have shot himself in the head shortly thereafter. So in the meantime, then, of course, Anjum's 911 call is coming through. In hers, she is absolutely hysterical. She is screaming. I mean, I couldn't talk. Oh, my gosh. I couldn't put words together. I, I... 
it again she's being on full adrenaline yeah i can't believe um, she made it to a bedroom that's already incredible oh, by itself just horrible she is screaming my girls are dead he shot and killed my daughters he's she's screaming their names over and over she's hyperventilating it was just horrible and only minutes later you could hear that the dispatch or that the um first responders had gotten into the home because now the 911 call ends with her talking to them well they are in downtown and i'm sure they're super close very close so it was just brutal to listen to their call lasted seven minutes and police found anjum bleeding in the hallway of the home randy Brittany, and tiffany were all dead each from a single gunshot wound to their heads Police found no sign of any struggle in the apartment. Nothing was strewn about, which told them that everything happened very calmly. The girls were doing normal things. But how the hell did you shoot? Did he shoot one of the girls and the other one didn't hear it? Maybe so headphones on or something. That's possible. Or, you know, sometimes it's something you're not expecting. Right. So you're like, oh, that's a weird sound. Anyways. What is? I've, I've never heard a gunshot in my house. And obviously you can like do it through a pillow to muffle it a little bit. It, there was no report that that happened. Hmm. So, um, obviously, whoever was killed second heard something. They yeah. heard the gunshot, but maybe they didn't even know. There was no sign that any of the either girl struggled. So, that tells me that they probably didn't recognize what that noise was. And, the, I mean, to, to make myself feel better, like, I cannot even fathom, like, pulling a trigger on my son or daughter. Like, that is so incredibly far out from anything I'm capable of. Like that's like, that's the exact opposite of anything that can happen to you. You know, he has to be so effed up in the head that to be able to accomplish this, like it's something that he was thinking was the getting back at. at he knew while the girls were in school that day, yeah. um, and he was you know saying these cryptic words to his you know soon to be ex wife. He knew what he was going to do. Yeah, they came home from school. They walked in that door with their backpacks on a typical Friday. These girls and he you're knew to love. four days from the time they were going to turn seventeen years old. They're having a normal day. She's flipping on the TV, watching Friends. How do you do this? How? It's it's just beyond anything I can wrap my head around. Um, both girls were covered with blankets except for their heads. It appeared that Tiffany had been watching a video on her laptop in bed. She was in her bedroom. Her head was laying on her pillow. She had her laptop open. She was watching a video. It was very normal. And of course, we know that Brittany was laying on the couch and she was just watching Friends. Randy was found in the primary bathroom. His face was submerged in bloodstained water. He had filled the bathtub with water. I mean, he planned this all out. Before he made that 911 call, he put water in the bathtub. Wow. It's just so eerie to me to think that he did this and ne- never once thought, what am I What am I doing? Well, that's how out of it he was. I'm sure, I don't know what other drugs he was taking or whatever, but it's just like, I mean, to plan it well beforehand and then just to go through with it. Like, you hear a lot of these stories where the guy just couldn't do it because he was a coward or whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, he was just like, okay, killed both my daughters. Okay, going to shoot my... I wonder why he shot Anjum in the leg, just he, to make her live with the decisions, uh, quote unquote, that she made. Yes, he wanted to make sure that she lived to suffer the loss of her, and, her lovely girls. I'm sure Anjum like wishes that it kind of went otherwise because she has to live with all this pain. I mean, you don't wish that you were dead, but it's I, I mean, mean, the pain must close. be unbearable. Yeah. So his cell phone was sitting on the ledge of the bathtub. Obviously, we know he had just ended the 911 call. There was one spent uh, casing. We know he died of a single bun- gunshot wound. There was a magazine of ammunition on the bathroom counter. Two nine millimeter handguns were found inside the apartment. One was 
right there near his body, the one that he used. The other was in the closet. He had a valid firearm owner's ID card. Anjum had said he obtained that years and years before. And I'll talk more about the gun situation. But police recall that earlier that month on February 9th, they had been called out to Anjum's condo for a domestic incident. There was no physical battery because, again, there was never any reports that Randy was violent towards them. Which is rare in these situations. You know, he was only emotionally controlling. He was not physically abusive, just emotionally. I mean, he went from zero to 100 right. one day. So, um, you know, nothing was nothing happened when they came out to her apartment on February 9th. No one was arrested. And again, there was no indication that there was any violence happening in the past. Because and not to say zero to 100. I mean, being mentally damaging is horrible as well. And, and you know, oh, but you can't yeah. be arrested for it. You can't show the signs, which sometimes to me, it's like almost harder. It's like. If your partner tragically breaks your arm or something, you can go to the police and show them. Where emotional scars, they're invisible, but they're they're deep. Yeah, and you know, there's freedom of speech, so we're allowed to say whatever we want, but that could be more harming than physical stuff. Right, and we're not saying one is worse than the other. They're no. both terrible. Of course. So it's likely that Randy killed the girls just before Anjum's arrival, since a downstairs neighbor remembers hearing a boom sound at about 4.30 p.m. Again, we know that the one neighbor saw them walking up together 15 minutes later, so it's likely he had only just killed them 15 minutes before her arrival. And we know that the 911 calls came through at 5.12 p.m., so this all happened very quickly. I assume they probably had just gotten out of school somewhere in the 3 o'clock hour. Sure. Um, he also heard a faint scream of a child. So we did say, you know, obviously one, the one that was killed second had to have heard the, the gunshot. So he did hear a scream. Mm. So I don't, I don't know exactly what that was about. Yeah. I don't even want to like, guess. No. it doesn't matter. They're both dead. He recalls that the family did seem normal. He had never heard any fighting before. It's not like it was a typical instance that he'd hear things going on upstairs. It was normally quiet. When the police spoke with Anjum in the hospital, she did say that Randy had made comments in the past, making side like flippant comments about killing the girls. Oh, my God. That's like that's a huge red flag. But he she said he never thought he was serious. It was just another element of control. He was trying to hold over her. Even mentioning that is a huge, huge red flag. It's scary. I mean, I, there's not even a in joking like we joke a lot about some weird shit at this house. But it's like, you know, just because well, we would never joke about something like this. No, not at all. Because that's like I mean, that's that's nothing to joke about. No. She said that he loved those girls so much, he spoiled them with anything that they would want, he would do for them. If Anjum disciplined them, he'd be like, oh, don't be so hard on the girls. So but you was, killed them. That's really, it really was smart. never in her mind that he would possibly ever hurt them because there was, again, never any signs. He was never abusive to the girls. Right. It sounds like he was very controlling to her. She never mentioned that he was controlling to them because, again, he spoiled them. He didn't control their spending, per se. We do know they had their own jobs. They were making their own money. So it's believed that Randy shot his wife in the legs, like we had just talked about, so that she would survive and have to deal with the emotional aftermath. Anjum was on suicide watch for about a week after her girls died. She she barely even remembers the days. It was a haze and an absolute blur. Well, I forgot what that's called, but like you're trying to block it out mentally because mm-hmm. it hurts so much. Oh, I mean, and you got to go through you know talking to a therapist about it because there's 
I mean, you're going to have emotional scars for the rest of your life. It's just so hard to even imagine this poor woman had to go through this. Yeah. She remembers going to their funeral and looking at her daughters as they lay in their caskets. And she felt like these aren't my girls. These these don't look like them. Because, of course, we know that they were vibrant girls. They were full of life. And then you're just looking at a shell of who they were. Mm. You know, they're gone. Yeah. And she said that they looked beautiful, but they weren't my girls. In the months after, Anjum suffered from depression, nightmares. She had issues coping with the horrendous loss of her daughters. During this terrible, terrible time, she was also faced with many decisions in the week after the murders. And these were decisions that, you know, she's having to make on a dime and she's going through the worst possible thing she could possibly be going through. So she does regret some of the things that she chose. She chose to have all the items in Randy's apartment just thrown away. And she wishes she would have kept some of the girls' things. She had many of the girls' things at her place. But, you know, like their journals and things that they were actively using at that point in time. Oh, yeah. I'd want to hold on to those. Yeah. But it was too much for her to even wrap her head around going through them. So, obviously, well, you know I don't gonna... blame her for anything that she chose. No, no. You know it's going to cause immense pain. Oh, I can't even imagine. And every Sunday without fail, Anjum goes to the North Cemetery near her house where her daughters as well as Randy are buried together. So that was another decision she had to make. So she lays flowers at their headstone, which contains her own name, and it's engraved next to Randy's. Again, another decision she made too quickly during her intense grief. She remains firm that she will never be buried next to him. That will be empty, and she will instead lay on the other side of the headstone at the end, which is Tiffany. It was always Randy's wish to be cremated when he died. She refused to grant that wish for him. <laughs> Good. Yep. Fuck him, man. Fuck that piece of shit. I I would do like the exact opposite of anything that he wanted if I had the power. I mean, absolutely. You don't get the choices now, motherfucker. Mm-hmm. You're going how I want you to. She Ugh. chose to bury him next to his daughters, and she basically says, be there next to your daughters and tell them what you did. I could see that. That's I, I like it. Yeah. She chooses to place flowers at his grave, you know, even where he lays, saying that she will never, ever forgive him for what he did. But he was a good father to them when they were living. I know you think in your head, how can a good father do this? But she said he was. He was a good father to his girls before this horrifically tragic day. So because of that, she chooses to leave flowers at his grave. And I am not going to question that decision because this woman is going through something I hope to never have to wrap my head around. Hey, whatever she's decided and Mm -hmm. choose to go with it, it's not going to change the past. So it doesn't really matter. I mean, if you do the same thing, it doesn't matter. So whatever helps her. Yeah, absolutely. And she has chosen to stay in St. Charles because, again, she has no other family. She says, my girls were my family. So she loves being able to go out to the cemetery whenever she wants. She does every Sunday, but if she wants to go more, she talks to her daughters out there. She says she never has any words that she speaks for Randy. Um, she says she wants to stay in the the location where her girls lived, where they loved. They had so many memories together that they cherish, that she cherishes. Um, she remains in the condo that she moved into a month before the girls were killed. Inside, she keeps many memories of her girls, their first Halloween costumes, the border wallpaper that lined the walls of their room when they were babies, their infant hospital caps, pictures of the girls are all around her home. 
A year after the girl's death, Anjum threw an 18th birthday party for them. She invited the community. More than 100 people came to honor the twins. The girls loved their birthday, and Anjum still was recovering in the hospital. She was at Del Nor Community Hospital. I actually did part of my internship at that hospital. Oh, I remember that. Um, they would have turned 17 when she was still recovering because we know that they were killed only four days before their birthday. So she wasn't able to do like anything to commemorate them then. It was yeah, so soon after. She's in no shape to be doing No. That. Yeah. So she wanted to do something to honor their 18th. That's so nice. that's what she did. Um, in the months after the murders, Anjum got a tattoo on her forearm, which was something that she was never into. She was always not a fan of tattoos, but she changed her mind and it reads, I'm okay if you're okay. And it's next to a musical note. And these are the words from one of Britney's favorite bands, Seven Minutes in Heaven. Under the words are her twins' names and their date of birth and death. Anjum remembers how much the girls loved music and they would want her to go on and survive. This is what they would want for their mom. Anjum started going back to therapy, which was something she had stopped for a while after the murders. She struggles with the decisions that Brandy made to take two innocent lives in his anger. The holidays have been a real struggle, but she surrounds herself with a close-knit group of friends. She continues to move forward despite missing her girls every single day of her life. She also speaks out and tries to help other people who are going through grief and basically says, you know, it never goes away. Yeah, you learn to live with it. You know, you learn to wake up and just say, I'm going to just put one foot in front of the other and just keep moving forward. So she continues to move forward despite missing her girls every day. She's trying to take care of herself. She's exercising. She's listening to music. She's trying to focus on herself because it's something she really wasn't allowed to do in the past because Randy wouldn't let her. Um, she is also wanting to travel the world, which is something Randy was adamantly against. She's adamant that she will keep on living for her girls. She returned to work three months after the murders. She was working at a temporary housing agency, hoping to establish a routine, get out of the house, get her mind, you know, focused on something else. She did end up taking a time off work to heal and travel um, she was using this as a mental break because she realized that after the girls were killed, she just went into autopilot and was just like a robot going through her day. And she wasn't taking the time to mentally heal. Yeah. And all of a sudden you look back and it's like, you know, five years of my life are gone because mm -hmm. I was just a zombie. Yeah. Friends and classmates were confused and devastated at the sudden and tragic way in which the girls were killed. A friend commented, it's unnerving to realize that someone you were so close with and could see in a day could be gone in just a matter of hours. And that's another thing, you know, that this piece of shit, Randy, uh, you know, you think about, yeah, I want to get back at Anjum, but you're also affecting like hundreds of classmates and friends of your daughters. Mm -hmm. Obviously, obviously, number one, you're affecting your daughters who you supposedly quote unquote love. And you kill them, but then, you know, you're affecting the whole community as right. well. Right, because like, again, this was a very safe, quiet town that people felt like something like this couldn't happen in. And does he care? Obviously not. No, of but. course not. He only cared about what he wanted. Yeah. So, um, you know, obviously the girls were killed on a Friday, and the school officials made sure that they had counselors available to the kids, even on that weekend, that they can come and, and talk with them, because, you know... To wrap your head around the fact that one of your best friends is just gone like that is just too much. 
So school officials made a statement on Facebook that Brittany and Tiffany were true saints undeserving of this tragedy. Their apartment building served as a memorial and friends and neighbors left flowers, handwritten letters and memories in front. Classmates wore purple or blue to school in their memory. The school observed a moment of silence on Tuesday, March 14th, which would have been the girls 17th birthdays. Anjum is now a member of Every Town Support Fund, which is a nationwide community of survivors that strive to end gun violence. She participated in National Gun Violence Survivors Week, which was started in February of 2019. It honors the 58% of Americans who have personally experienced gun violence. She hopes to extend the waiting time to those hoping to obtain a weapon, especially those who are undergoing mental health issues and are in a toxic relationship. And we know that Randy had started taking antidepressants. He was drinking heavily. They were going through a divorce. You know, those are kind of red flags that you should be aware of. I think any sane person, you know, not I, I, we don't get political here, but any sane person would agree that if you have some kind of mental health issues, you probably shouldn't. Yeah. be carrying around a deadly weapon. Right. So the first time Randy purchased a gun was only one month before he killed his daughters. Again, he had his firearms um, certificate or whatever it was license, but he never did anything about it. So it was only a month before he made this de- this horrific decision to end his girl's lives that he actually purchased the gun. At the time, he again, he was abusing both alcohol and his prescribed antidepressants and anti-anxiety medications. Anjum was completely unaware that he had made this purchase. She's pushing for laws that require anyone purchasing a gun to provide references, stating that like if she or somebody else had been called, they would have said, you know, yeah, he's going through a divorce right now. And maybe that would have been the flag to stop him from making this purchase. Does it mean that anyone that's going through a divorce is going to kill their family? No. No, but it is a red flag. Right. Anjum urges women to maintain their independence, having a job, making money to keep a controlling partner from gaining even more of an upper hand, because that was something that Randy used to her on a daily basis. He held that control. This is my money. I'm running the show. So she says, you know, if you are in a controlling relationship, try to maintain some sense of control, which making money does help. Yeah. But at the same time, the person that's, you know, trying to control you isn't going to like any of it. True. So they're like, no, you're not having a job. Otherwise, you're going to have to mm-hmm. get out. So how? what are you going to do? I mean, right. really, the main point is if you're in a controlling relationship, get the fuck out of it. True. I mean, it, the, the person's not going to change. They're, you're, nah, man. And hindsight's twenty twenty. I can't blame Anjum for any of this no. stuff. Uh, the, all we can do is learn. So if your significant other says, man, I'm just going to kill the kids one day, get get Listen. get the fuck out of that house as soon as you can. And Anjum, I'm not. No, by we're any not stretch. blaming you. And that's no. just the thing is that- I want to keep a family together. You know, I get that. I get you want to keep your family together and not cause waves. And it's like, yeah, he doesn't mean that because he loves them. He's a great father. Right. You know, I, I get that for sure. Been, who, who believes that the worst thing in the world is actually possible? Nobody does. I'm sure this is said a million times all around the yes. world and people never killed anybody. And she didn't. She didn't ever expect that to happen and that is really her mission now is being an advocate out there because she can't change the horrible thing that happened to her and i'm sure she would agree if we were talking to her right now like just just listen to those things listen to your gut and be like okay maybe this isn't right you know i don't know she would want something you know if she could change one horrible thing from happening i'm sure she would be happy i don't want to speak for her no but i assume that that would be the case i mean she's a a wonderful woman i listen to her speak on multiple platforms and what i'm thinking right now people like why didn't you reach out to her like do you really want to talk to some other like 
podcasters no. about your daughters again and again and again. Probably not. So, and Jim, I mean, if you hear this, go ahead and reach out to us. We're happy to whatever um, you want to share. Absolutely. And she knows she'll never fully recover from the loss of her girls, but she hopes that her tragic story can help others to keep fighting and moving forward in their own losses and tragedies. It's so important to have something to live for. And she seems to be going about it the right way, living for her daughters, trying to help other people that have gone through it, people that are currently going through a controlling Mm -hmm. piece of shit partner. Um, she went through it all. She can speak to it and she knows right. what you're going through. Yeah, she went through the worst thing you like a, a parent could possibly imagine. Absolutely. So that's a sad and tragic story of the murder of Brittany and Tiffany Coughlin. Well, let's remember them and hopefully we can use it for good things, you know, for going forward and being good to each other and, and listening to our, our gut. If, mm-hmm. if you're in a bad relationship, I try to get out of it somehow. And, and we know it's not easy. That's easy no. for us to sit here and Absolutely. say it, that finances play such a huge role in it. You know, we know how apartment costs are, you know, we're like my coworker spends probably $2,000 a month for a one bedroom apartment. It's not easy when you don't have that financial freedom to get out of the thumb of a controlling person yeah and you want to also if you, if they have said i'm gonna hurt the family well, you don't want to cause the waves and make that person actually do something mm-hmm. you know so it, it's hard yeah it's scary so sorry anyway thank you all for being here yep and just want to say thank you to our patrons who uh you know are supporting us with their hard-earned money and our new patrons this week welcome to the crime and coffee couple club Ooh, they're I part just, of the club just thought of that crime and coffee couple club yeah. that's a lot of c's a lot of alliteration yes love we alliteration. love alliteration um shirley brianna and elizabeth welcome to the club thank you guys so very much and thank you to our existing patrons our future patri- patrons Yep. And speaking of alliterations, if you're looking at this YouTube video, we've got Princess Poppy Pumpkin Pie Pernecki. Yes. That is our shorty. That's our shorty laying right <laughs> on your lap. She's the sweetest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. Anyway, until next time, we'll be back. Bye. Bye.